The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting, Management, or its sponsors. Healthy Lifestyle with Lorianne is brought to you by Northwell Health. Visit them online at northwell.edu. Welcome to Healthy Lifestyle. I'm Lorianne Kazdia. Our goal here at Healthy Lifestyle is to inspire, educate, and empower you to fulfill a healthy, emotional, spiritual, and physical life so you can feel empowered to live the life you have always wanted and dreamed. We have the great and wonderful friend of Healthy Lifestyle, Courtney Boom Boom Crockett on today. We are, uh, we are so happy to have you on today. Courtney, how are you? I'm doing very well, Lorian. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, I'm I'm so happy to have you, uh, Courtney. If you recall from previous. Uh um, shows is the traveling cocktailian and uh, so full of information relative to spirits and wine and um, all kinds of uh, historic information as well. So you have a lot of uh, stuff going on there, girl, huh? Yes, uh, I am. I am definitely a, a a dork of all trades. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still going to get you singing. It's gonna. I'm going to get you singing on the show um, one day. <laughs> I, I tell you what, it probably wouldn't take a lot, Lori, to be honest with you. Loving it. Loving it's good, it. It's good to hear your voice. I hope everything is going well with you. And I'm very excited to be back on the program today. I've got some, I've got a pretty interesting topic I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about if everyone is game. <laughs> I, I think everybody's game. I, I really do. I'm, uh, I, I'm excited to talk about it as well. So uh, take it away, my friends. Well, so one of the things, obviously, in this this time, uh, you know, we're we've got a lot of we've got a lot of things on our minds. But I kind of wanted to offer a little fun distraction today on our show, yeah. um, and having me on. So one of the things I have to ask you, my first question I have for you, which is uh, is uh, changing up a bit, is when I say rump, what is something that comes to mind when you hear the word rump? <laughs> right away, I think of the. Caribbean, and um, I think of the movie, and I think of rum and coke, and I think of being on a beach. Absolutely, that's absolutely right. That's that's what I, that was what I was hoping you were going to say. So now I guess my next question should be: Are you are you a fan of rum? Have you had a lot of experience with rum? Well, you got to define a lot of experience, <laughs> but uh, yes, I well, am a fan of rum, but I do have a propensity to only drink it in the warm weather. Of course, okay. Which which is which is very uh very typical of a lot of us. I don't know we why. Automatically, because we do associate it with the Caribbean and and you know warm nights on the beach and things like that. I think that's very very typical of the culture that rum is kind of perpetuated uh, within our society. Um, I think throughout this conversation, though, I, I think people are going to be very uh, surprised to hear really some information about rum they might not have known before. So um, one of the things I do want to know. Yeah. And I want to ask the the, the guests uh, listening as well um, if you know what rum is made of. Do you know what the base of rum is? So everybody, every spirit has a base that we a sugar base that we go off of, which is what we use for fermentation, and then of course eventually our distillation process. So are you are you familiar with what the base of rum actually is? I'm gonna guess because it's a flavor that's a, it stands out to me when I drink it. Is is it molasses? It is molasses. Oh, absolutely. look at me. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, it is actually a byproduct. Um, rum was discovered whenever the sugar trade was um, 
going strong in the Caribbean, obviously during the uh, colonial days. Um, it's not, the rum that we have today wasn't really like the rum that was discovered then, though. It was more like a sticky um, byproduct, like an offshoot of the um, sugar industry. And what they noticed was that molasses became a byproduct whenever they would allow the sugar to crystallize. And uh, the process that they used was they would put it in clay pot uh, with holes in the bottom, and the molasses, as the sugar would crystallize, would seep out. And they found one day that um, the molasses began to ferment. And by fermenting, obviously, they realized that that they could make something uh, different out of this product that would help with the... Um, uh, the humors of the day, I would say. The attitude adjustment <laughs> for the day? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, rum actually has a very interesting uh, history, not just with the sugar trade, obviously, but um, how it pertains to our country and uh, what that means as far as uh, the, the, the growth and the, um, the building of our country in the beginning. Um, and I do want to get into that. So, uh, I did want to ask you one other question. Did you know that there are three different kinds of rum depending on who colonized a specific area? Um, I um, did. You, I did not know that. But is it similar yeah. to whiskey, scotch, and bourbon? In a way, but not necessarily. Okay. Um, only in the only in the sense that there is a difference in flavor profile. Okay. Um, whiskey, scotch, and bourbon is definitely a. Uh, uh, maybe a two-parter that we'll put together. <laughs> yeah, well, we, well, we should cover that because I'm a big Scotch drinker and now I'm a bourbon Absolutely. drinker. So, uh, and we're coming into the warm season, so I may be a rum drinker too. So this is very helpful. So keep going well, and, and telling uh, us our history. Yeah. So, um, depending on the area that was uh, that was colonized, you had your major forces at that time. You had the British, the French, and obviously the Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually find a very small distinction, very similar to whiskey, E-Y and Y, whenever you're looking at rums to kind of indicate where that rum has come from. So R-U-M, which is the rum we're most most familiar with, um, is said to have originated in Barbados, which at one time was an English colony. You have R-U-H-M, which is considered an agricole, and that's uh, indicative more of the French colonies. And then you have RON, which is R-O-N, which is more of your Spanish colony. So when you see those different pronunciations on a bottle um, after the show, hopefully you will know that, oh, this one is uh, is indicative of a British style of rum, this one of French, and this one of Spanish. What are the flavor differentials? Um, so I'm actually going to get into the... Oh, cool. The, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the styles of rum, so... With your with your British or, or with your English style, essentially is what it's called. Um, you're looking at like Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad, Virgin Islands, kind of the rums that we're really most familiar with. Mm-hmm. So like your rum and coke, um, things like that. So with those, you look at something very spiced. It's very vivid. Um, you get almost like this. Um, you this is where your navy rums come from, which are your overproof. Your dark rums come from, which are more um, molasses-heavy, um, and then you have your overproof rums as well. With your French style, also in the Caribbean, like Martinique, Haiti, French Guiana, things like that, um, you get fruity, intense. You get a very distinct flavor of your terroir. I will say with R-U-M, the um, French style of rum, whereas we're used to it being made from the molasses byproduct. 
Yes. That is actually made from a sugarcane juice, which gives it a very distinct, almost a vegetal flavor. So it's not that typical, you know, you know, it's like your coconut rum or something like that. It has a very distinct flavor, but it's absolutely delicious whenever you um, start to experiment with it and putting it into other rum cocktails that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think of. As far as your Spanish-style rums, you're looking at, of course, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Guatemala, Venezuela, um, things like that. That's going to be more of your of your um, your lighter, your buttery, a um, little bit more oily rums. But again, Don Q, amazing. Um, you know, you're going to make mojitos and pina coladas out of a lot of your Spanish rums. You're going to look more at like um, high punches and planters punches when you do your agricoles, and then your rum and cokes. Like I said, you'll use your rum and cokes for. Uh, your a lot of your uh, English style rums. So that being said, one of the things that what I wanted to tie it together with uh, our history here in the United States, I kind of just gave it away. But I was going to ask you, do you know who the largest exporter of rum was during the 18th century? Well, if I were to give it a guess, I would say the United States. <laughs> Absolutely weird. <laughs> I know, right? But predominantly um, up up in the um, in the New England area. Yeah, so that was very much uh, a huge, huge, huge commodity that was being um, that was being exported out of the colonies, out of the United States before we actually got a lot of our independence. But out of the colonies at that time, it was a huge money maker. Um, in fact, a lot of you, and I'm sure you have, but um, there was actually the Great Molasses Flood. Oh, the Boston, the, the yeah. Boston um, Molassacre, I think they called Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Even to this day, um, in the north end of Boston, they say on a hot day, you can still smell the molasses. Yeah, so fun fact, my family comes comes from Massachusetts. So my father was born in uh, Watertown, lived and raised in Watertown, which is north of Mm -hmm. Boston. And um, and we're big fans. I've been a big fan of molasses. I love molasses cookies and stuff like that. Oh yeah. As did my mom. I mean, that, it's such a great flavor. It's very full, um, and it and it, that comes from my whole family. So I actually do know the history behind this. And I love it. And and when it gets warm, you do have that essence of molasses. If you're familiar with the smell, you're like you you presume it's a bakery local, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's still it still comes out of the cobblestone. I was going to say it just seeped into the streets there. Yeah. Um, but that kind of gives you an idea of uh, during that time, I mean, how much, how much was coming into the United States. And that was even after it, uh, after it. Huge heyday. Oh, so let me um, let me back up for a second. What happened was yeah, uh, in I think it was January nineteen nineteen nineteen. It was January fifteenth, nineteen nineteen. Yes, nineteen nineteen. And and a tank burst. Uh, it was about uh, mm-hmm. I think two point three million uh, gallons of. Yep. of uh, molasses and it just burst. So there was molasses everywhere. And if you can only imagine yep. how sticky that was. So it was one of those things where it wasn't easy to clean up either. So of course it seeped into the cobblestone. It seeped into just about everything. It seeped into the bricks mm-hmm. and the buildings around that tank uh, being exploding. Yeah. Did we, do we know why it exploded? That's something I do not know. Um, actually it was, it was, um, it was poor engineering um, at the time. Oh, the they tank! Were given the tank itself. Yeah, Whoa. the tank itself. Actually, one of the one of the people who was responsible for um, the integrity of the tank kind of uh, did some shortcuts. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> In order to get the to get the project uh, done, 
Um, and yeah, as a result, I mean, I, I giggle at that, but you know, you think about it now, but at the time of this happened, you called it the, uh, molass- the uh, molassacre. That's absolutely true. There were 150 injuries and 21 people died yeah. as a result of this flood. Um, and if you think about, right, if you think about how thick that molasses is, I mean, and it happened in the middle of the day. It happened at lunchtime. No one had any warning. No one, you know, everyone's, everyone's kind of out and about and this huge, this huge thing just breaks open and starts spilling molasses on the street. No one, no one had a, no one had a prayer at that point. Um, which is a sad part, but it's definitely part of the history of showing the, uh, the complexity of, of what this, what this, uh, what this base actually is and how it was used in so many different assets, even, you know, outside of making rum, but molasses had become a huge, a huge import, um, from the from the Caribbean and from the other colonies at that time, and continues to be a, a huge um, a huge part of our of our history and our breaking in the United States. So, so you said something um, earlier that that I just want to to just ask you this question on. So, you're saying that most of the run comes from British owned colonies, the English style, the French rum, um, you know, coming from the the locations that are primarily French, right? And then the Spanish mm-hmm. rum coming from the islands that are uh, descendants of, of the Spanish community, etc. Mm-hmm. But why, how then is the U.S. the largest exporter of rum? Well, during the time, uh, we were, most of the rum coming in was brought in by the British. So they were, they were bringing all of that, um, all of that byproduct up to the colonies before we had um, declared our independence from the British uh, from the British monarchy. So during the like the seventeen the mid mid to late seventeen hundreds, we were the one who was actually exporting most of that molasses out. Um, yeah, it was a very interesting very interesting dynamic when you think about it. And then after uh, we gained our independence, we at that time we had already uh, learned how to do our own. Um, just, you know, our own distilling. Um, we were starting to distill our own rum. And uh, that actually leads me into my next segue, which um, rum saw its uh, height of popularity in the United States during the 18th century. Mm-hmm. By the beginning of the 19th century, we had started making a transition um, because we were no longer part of the monarchy, because we were no longer had access to the uh, colonization of the uh, uh, Caribbean and the islands that you know, we're still under uh, British control, we started looking at other things to use in order to continue our installation process. So um, during that time, we had made a transition. So any idea what became the most popular distillate in the United States after rum did? Well, um, so based on the fact that rum is molasses-based, um, I would say that there are some molasses notes in uh, whiskeys. So I'm going to guess whiskeys. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Um, I whiskey. really hope there's a prize at the end of this because I'm doing so well I mean, at these questions. I'm going to have to find something to send you. You've been knocking it out of the park. Killing it, aren't I? I'm really surprised. I know, right? It's it's because I listen to my son when he speaks. He's a second-level <laughs> psalm, so he'll be very proud of me. <laughs> he will definitely be proud of you. Yeah, absolutely. So after rum kind of ran its course, we started moving in towards more of a whiskey-based um, society. But the great thing about that is rum and whiskey share a very entwined history, obviously. Um, whiskey was made 
all of us who know about bourbon, when we think about whiskey, we immediately think about bourbon and rye being the two main um, whiskeys that the United States have produced. Yeah, Kentucky whiskey um, and yeah, Kentucky bourbon. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what was once plentiful in the byproduct molasses, we started finding that we had all of this leftover corn from farmers. And so we started moving more towards making our bourbon, our American-style whiskey. Um, when the revolution hit, the British blockades obviously kind of put a put a damper on us getting our molasses um, import. So that just gave us a, a window, more more of an avenue rather into creating something a little bit more of our own that was more uh, representative of us as a as a you know as a, as a group of colonies or rather now a nation. Well, you know, I, I find it I find it interesting because that's American ingenuity at its best, at its finest. Absolutely, we found we found that we had a struggle, but we found the opportunity, and, and we're doing that right now today. So I, I love watching those conversions over and how we air quote stumble onto these other things, but it wasn't a stumble at all. It, we were filling a void. So it's like, okay, can't do, yep. can't do this. You're going to slow us down with the molasses. We're going to use what we have in our backyard. And that makes sense. That transition makes a lot of sense with the corn. Absolutely. It does. And what also makes a lot of sense is when you look at the flavor profiles of both of the, uh, of both of the spirits, you know, even though rum is made from sugarcane yes. and whiskey is made from corn, um, you still get a lot of those similar flavors when they're barrel aged. So you're looking at vanilla, toasted caramel, yep. starred oak. Uh, some some cases, you know, you get a very you can get a very smoky um, uh, smoky rum, just like you can a very smoky uh, bourbon or rye whiskey. And it was uh, it was not the easiest of transitions, but like you said, I mean, that just goes to show American ingenuity and what we can do when we're faced with um, with a situation where we have to kind of think outside the box and still create something that is in, you know, in, in, in need, uh, which uh, we all know that most of our spirits, most of our distillates started out as, um, you know, medicinal, but, and then also, you know, create something, um, that the market is craving at the same time. Without a doubt. Did you so, say outside the box or outside the bar? I wasn't sure. Either way. You know, I mean, it's, all, it's, 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 it's uh, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato. There you go. Like the same thing. <laughs> Love it. So uh, one of the things I did want to talk about, and I, I think when we think about going kind of back to the beginning, when we think about rum, a lot of us, you know, we immediately think of, um, what we lovingly refer to as like tiki drinks sure. or, or island drinks, these very kind of um, over-the-top sweet bombs that you drink because you can't taste the spirit in it. You know, that's, you, just, you just down them, and before you know it, you've got a hangover the next day because you had one too many, uh, you know, cocktails at the at the tiki bar the night before yeah well, okay <laughs> so what i want to ask you is have you ever had have you ever had a, uh like when you talk about tiki drinks probably one of the most famous that we're familiar with is called a mai tai sure do you ever 
had a Mai Tai. Can of course. Can you tell me a little bit about the Mai Tai that you had, just out of curiosity? Gosh, it was a long time ago, and it was da- down in St. Martin. I do remember my first Mai Tai was okay. down in St. Martin. Um, do I remember anything other than that, other than it being yummy and sweet? It, you don't taste any alcohol with it, um, and, it, right. ju- and it, it really punches a, a nice pack. You know, it, 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 so it was it, very, very fruity, very, very fruity, very sugary. Okay. Very sugary. And that's uh, usually what gives me the hangover. But let's just hold on for a second, Courtney, because we're going to take a little bit of a break. You are listening to Healthy Lifestyle with Lorianne. We're speaking to the great Courtney Boom Boom Croc- Crockett, the traveling cocktailian. And uh, we will be right back after uh, a little break. Lifestyle with Lorianne is brought to you by Northwell Health. Visit them online at northwell.edu. Welcome back to Healthy Lifestyle. I'm Lorianne. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas you'd like to hear more about, please email us at healthylifestylewitha at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on social media at Healthy Lifestyle with LA. We love hearing from you. We really do. And we answer every email and post personally. And uh, hopefully we'll be... Uh, doing this live uh, streaming while we while we do this uh, show very very soon so we have been speaking today so excited with Courtney Boom Boom Crockett the traveling cocktailian we've been speaking all about the different rums that are out there the British the French the Spanish um, the Boston uh uh, we call it ma- Malassacre. Uh, and uh, we were just talking about Mai Tais and how fruity it was and how that packs a punch. And uh, and I really enjoy it. But that was back in St. Martin, as I was saying before. And mm-hmm. uh, it does, uh, because of all the sugar, I think that's why uh, the hangover the next day is really, yikes, harsh. Yeah. It, it, that is that is actually something that is, uh, that's very true. A lot of people think... Oh, I can't mix these spirits. I'll have a hangover. And I always tell people, it's like, it's not the spirit giving you the hangover. It's what you mix with the spirits that give you the hangover. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, um, the, we, it, and it was always blamed. There is. It was always blamed on the sun, too, of how quickly you got in, um, intoxicated if you did get intoxicated. But it was really because it was so massed that you didn't really realize how much of the spirit yep. you were drinking. Mm-hmm. And the dehydration is definitely a big thing. Yes. So I always tell people when they're drinking, always have a full glass of water next to them. And I'm like, make sure you drink water when you're drinking the other things too. Uh, so we were talking about the Mai Tai and how most of us, today, uh, when we think of the Mai Tai, we think of this very fruity, very sugary kind of drink. But really the history of the Mai Tai is much different. Um, the Mai Tai became so popular 
that it supposedly depleted the world's rum supplies in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> uh, the drink itself, which I think is hilarious. I might so be depleting it this it. summer. <laughs> <laughs> right? So many people wanted this drink that there wasn't enough rum to get their hands on to actually make it. But it was actually invented uh, in 1944 by this gentleman better known as Trader Vic. Um, anybody who's familiar with tiki culture will, of, of course, know who Trader Vic is. Um, and it was really a variation of a punch that he created called the QB Cooler back in 33. Um, the Mai Tai in, it, in its origin was very simplistic. You had um, three different kinds of rum. You had fresh lime juice. You had orgeat, which is like a almond, a creamy almond type um, liqueur. And you had uh, like a, an orange liqueur, like a triple sec or something like that. Mm. Like it was very simplistic. Um, so the Mai Tai did not become what we typically know as the Mai Tai until 1953 when it made its trip to Hawaii. Once it became uh, a drink in Hawaii, that's when you started seeing pineapple being added, orange juice being added, other fruit juices being added. Um and that is what we refer to more as like a Royal Hawaiian Mai Tai. And it's based off of the hotel in Waikiki that kind of made this drink popular. So I want to talk about what I, one of the things I want to do uh, for our guests is um, I will post, um, uh, with your help, obviously, uh, a recipe for a traditional Mai Tai and then also kind of give you the idea of what a Royal Hawaiian Mai Tai looks like. Yeah, let's talk about um, what, what ingredients are. And I'll definitely post all the ingredients sure. up by the different recipes that you're giving us. So, um, and, and I think, too, that uh, if you uh, send me an email, I will also send you a video of our good friend here, Courtney Boom Boom, um, actually making the Mai Tais as well. So you could follow along and make the drinks and um, kind of enjoy them this weekend. What do you think? I love it. I think that'd be so much fun. I love... Uh, I love making drinks for people to see, especially to show them a lot of times, you know, it can be very overwhelming or think that it's very overwhelming. And uh, when you see somebody doing it and they do give you a step-by-step, you see that it's very, very easily executed in your home. Um, I like to do drinks like that so that if you like something in my bar, you can, you can, you can try to try to recreate it in your house if, 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 if you like to. So love it. Love it. Um, so the original my site is essentially you're looking at a, an ounce of your, just your white rum, what you would typically see in the store, um, something like a Bacardi or a Don Q. Um, and then the second ounce you're going to add is going to be of a, something called a golden rum or an aged rum is what I like to use. It adds a little bit of depth. And like you're uh, previously discussing, anything that's spent any time in a barrel is adding uh, some additional flavors with that oakiness, those vanillas, those nutty notes, things like that. Um, and then you're going to do three quarters of a fresh lime juice and three quarters of an orange liqueur. Like I said, triple sec is perfectly fine. Mm. There are some variations. This is the one that I that I use because I feel like it's the most balanced. I don't want to my or you know a lacking acid in any way, but I also want to be able to drink multiple drinks. <laughs> And I have a tendency to when I have cocktails that are too acidic, I can only have one or two of them before they start to kind of burn my throat a little bit. Sure. Um, And then you're going to add a quarter of like a quarter ounce of your Orgeat, 
if you don't have Orgeat or you can't find Orgeat, and that's spelled O-R-G-E-A-T, um, or like Orgeat is what it might look like. But if you can't find that, if you have some like Amaretto, you can always throw, because you're only using a quarter ounce. Yum. You're really just wanting that, that nuttiness in there. You can always throw a little bit of Amaretto. And then if you do want something just a tad bit sweeter, throw in a, like a little, a quarter ounce of simple syrup. You know, you can always do that too. That's, you know, if you like your, if you like your drinks a little bit on the sweeter side, you're still going to get all of those notes that were um, intended with the original cocktail, but it's going to have just that little peak of sweetness that you're looking for at the end. Love it. And um, with simple syrup, if I can just hold on for a second, mm-hmm. with sure. simple syrup too, that you can easily make that at home. You don't have to buy it pre-made. Oh. You can buy it pre-made, but mm-hmm. Courtney... Tell us all how easy it is to make, because I make it myself. I keep it in an amber bottle in my refrigerator yep. just to add to my drinks. Absolutely. It's called simple syrup because it's literally the simplest thing you're going to make next to toast. It's, uh, it's basically Chew. one cup of water to one cup of sugar. That's it. You boil the hot water. You make the water boil the boiling. Hot water, add the sugar. Put the sugar in. Dissolve it. Let it cool. You're good. Make sure the the sugar is completely dissolved, though. You don't want any grit yeah. in it because um, that changes yeah. the properties when you use it for drinks. Absolutely. I know. Been there, done that. Tried to do it too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then transfer it into a, a bottle and keep it in your fridge, and it's really yeah. good. You just add a little bit to your drinks, and uh, or you yeah. can use uh, agave. Uh, oftentimes, yeah. I use agave in a replacement of using simple syrup. So either way, Absolutely. you're looking you're looking at, you know, really controlling how sweet that drink is. And I know when we mm-hmm. make Sazeracs at the house, you know, we really control how much of the sugar Absolutely. that we put in. Absolutely. You know, and uh, like I said, there there's definitely a time and a place for making large uh, batches of super sweet, uh, yummy, you know, fruity drinks. I'm all for it too. But if you want to taste what a true Mai Tai tastes like, this is probably my favorite, favorite way to do it. It is, and, it, and it's unlike anything you've had. If you've never had a real Mai Tai before, when you have it, I guarantee you probably eight out of 10 people would go away from what they initially thought a Mai Tai was right. to the original version because it's just so beautifully, beautifully balanced and you get all of those flavors. Um, so you'll take all of those ingredients, you'll shake them up, You can use any kind of shaker tin you want. Um, You shake them up just enough to get everything blended. You're not trying to, you're not, you know, trying to win any, you know, cocktail competitions. (laughs) Um, And then what you'll want to do is when you pour that out over ice, you will take a, this is when you get to your third rum, um, what they call a dark rum. Uh, I always just say Myers. Myers is a great brand. It's beautiful. It's reasonably priced. It should be on everybody's back bar. You can do so much with it. Um, you do a little float on top and add a lime wheel and some fresh mint and voila, you're ready to go. It's a perfect drink for a patio. It's a perfect drink to set out and, uh, you know, on a weekend with your, with your friends and family, if you're just hanging out and putting together. And to be fair, if you wanted to do it in batch, in a large batch where you just pour it out and, and drink it, it's also very easy to do it that way. So, so I can make a picture of it so that if I'm, Absolutely. if I have a great, uh, a group of people around, I can just be pouring it through the day. I love that because then you're spending yeah. time with your guests or your family or friends yeah. as opposed to going absolutely. back and forth making multiple drinks. You're absolutely right. And a lot of times when I entertain, 
Um, one of the things that I one of one of the things that I think of when I'm putting together cocktails for dinner parties or entertainment of any of any uh, particular uh, matter is how easy it's going to be to serve my guests. And anything I can make in batch or put together a picture of is definitely what I'm going to go to because let's be fair. We want to spend our time with each other, not in the kitchen making cocktails and continuing to cook right. when we have people over that, that we haven't, you know, had a chance to visit with in a while. So this is definitely a good one for that. Um, I will uh, make sure that we have a uh, video of me putting one of those together. I'll put together the um, ingredients for our guests if they want it. And also I can put together a batched uh, ingredient list too and kind of show the, the differential on what you're going to be using to put the batch together. I, I uh, love that because to, I'm not I'm not really good at doing, you know, X timing it, you know, I'm not really good uh, at that. I if if it if it's a recipe calls for one drink, that's all I make, one drink. That's, so then that then I will definitely put that together because it is. It's very easy to do and it's and it's a lovely thing. Um so that right there is kind of going to be a really good representation of Different rums, predominantly though, you're still looking at a British style rum in what you're using. Okay. Right. right. Um, so I want to talk very quickly about, since we have the three different kinds, I would like to do, uh, talk about two other cocktails that are really, um, a good representation of how to use like a rum agricole or if you're looking at, uh, the Brazilian aspect, it's a, it's called cachaça. Cachaca is considered to be like kind of like a rum agricole itself. Um, it's it's the Belizean or not the Belizean, pardon me, the Brazilian um, the main rum that's used down there, and it's got it's made from the sugarcane juice, so it's very vegetal. Has a lot of really amazing like earthy qualities to it. And if anyone's ever traveled to South America and particularly Brazil, one of the things they would have had is called the Capirinha. Capirinha is uh, the um, uh, the national cocktail of Brazil. And if you like margaritas, this might become your new replacement. And I say that with all sincerity. I love this next drink. I love this drink so much. It's what I drink pretty much all summer long. And you talk about simplistic. It is so simple. It's fresh lime. Again, simple sugar or agave. Or if you like to use super fine sugar, you can use that. Um, I don't like grit in my cocktail, so I always kind of move more towards like a, a syrup-based sugar sure. and uh, cachaça. And I will, uh, again, the fresh lime, the sugar, the cachaça, you pack your shaker tin with ice and shake it up and you just dump it into a glass and it is so beautiful and refreshing. <laughs> yeah, no, you strain you strain the ice out though, right? You just use nope, the ice to chill it. Not. You don't. You use, what a, no, you dump everything into your glass and you just go to town. Nice. It's so easy. It's so easy. Um, and then, and then of course, the third I want to talk about, I think everybody's had it some, in some point in their life and some variation, um, is a mojito. Sure. Uh, yeah, mojitos, of course. Beautiful, refreshing, fantastic. I will say that, you know, there's a lot of uh, different brands out there that do um, pre-mojito mix things, which are fine, but there is nothing like having a fresh muddled mint, fresh lime mojito on a hot summer day, I think that that might be 
one of the most perfect cocktails ever created. Totally, so, uh, totally agree with you. It's refreshing. It's good. And I, I'm not a fan of the pre-mix only because there's other stuff in there and I don't need, you don't need the other stuff. They're usually preservative and, types. And also too, with the mojito, like anything else. I mean, when you're making your own cocktails rather than using a pre-mix, you're able to, to decide how acidic you want it, how right. sweet you want it. You know, if you have a tendency to, gravitate towards, you know, one side or the other, or say, you know, you want your cachaca to stand out a little bit more. Maybe you add a little bit more of that, or you like more mint or less. It's just, it's one of those things that these are easy enough to do at home that you can do them. And once you, once you get familiar with what the process is, then you can start playing around with how you want that flavor to come through. And, you know, it's really like anything else. I mean, even even being behind the bar, I mean, we want to ensure that whatever we're making for our guests is to their taste. Um, and this gives the guest at home a really good way to decide and to figure out what their taste is. So next time we are all able to be together again in a bar and we can order cocktails, then you know, I like my mojito a little bit more on the sweet side, or I have a tendency to like a little less mint, or I prefer my mojito instead of using, say, Don Q Cristal, which is probably one of the most perfect, perfect Puerto Rican rums on the planet. Yeah. You know, you're like, I actually like mine with agricole. Can we use rum agricole instead? Absolutely. This gives everyone at home, um, especially right now, having this time <laughs> to play around with things maybe we wouldn't get a chance to play around with, to really get a better idea of what their flavor is, what their profile is, so that when they do come to us again at the bar, we're able to give them what they want. Yeah, I love that. And consistency is really important. I know that, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if you do this, so you probably do, but as you make drinks every, you know, at the end, you usually take a straw and just make sure it's of the right sweetness or the right consistency mm-hmm. for the guests. And, and that there's, when I order it, I always get the same. Right. So mm-hmm. you, you do yeah. that, right? That's an important element Absolutely. that you see. That we actually, in the industry, we call that burning our beverage. And that just gives us an opportunity to right, go back and do a quality check and just make sure that it's balanced. It's where it needs to be. It has the right effervescence. It has the right, you know, it has the right aromatics. It has everything that we need um, or that we're, that we're shooting for in that cocktail before we pass along to our guests. Right, right, right. Yeah, that that's real important. So in our last few minutes that we have together, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the time goes flying all the time when we have you on. <laughs> um, if there was anything you wanted to share with, with our guests, um, who I fondly refer to as our listeners, um, who, yeah. who, you know, what would you want to tell them? Um, I think, I mean, like everybody else, just everybody keep your head up and Keep doing what you're doing, and, you know, I look forward to the day that you're setting at our bars again, and we have the ability to make these amazing, you know, delicious cocktails for you in that environment. But until then, I think I speak for everyone in my industry when I say that, you know, we're still here for you, and if you ever have any questions or <laughs> want a recipe, please don't hesitate to reach out. You know, we... Our biggest thing in hospitality, like I said, is we are just we want to make we want to make our guests happy, and if we can do that in any capacity, we're willing to do it. So, um, also uh, would like to reiterate too that there are still um, you know needs for people. We're still doing the 
the virtual happy hours with Jackie and Amy. We're still doing all of those things. So please don't hesitate to hop on those and, you know, Venmo your bartender and keep us going until we can get back uh, where we belong and taking care of you guys. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You, we have been speaking with Courtney Boom Boom Crockett, the traveling cocktailian. You can reach her if you wanted to reach out to her. She has lots and lots of good recipes that she'll be sharing with us throughout uh, a lot of our shows in the future. Um, also, I know she's going to be seen and highlighted in a local magazine called Port Lifestyle, uh, where she's going to be providing cocktails, both alcohol and alcohol-free. Um, so you can reach her on Facebook at the Traveling Cocktailian um, at Instagram and Twitter at Modern Day Betty F as in Frank. Um, you can always, always email her or me um, here at Healthy Lifestyle with LA at gmail.com or write directly to Courtney, the traveling cocktailian at gmail.com. And of course, uh, your phone number. You don't mind if I share your phone number? Not at all. Excellent. It is 816-896-6929. So th- you can reach out to Courtney. Courtney is a plethora of information, not just about rum, but any spirit that you're thinking about. Outstanding, outstanding bartender. Um, really hospitable. A lot of fun. Next time you are going to sing. We're going to have a little karaoke moment. So start <laughs> picking out your song now, Courtney, because you're coming right, on, com- coming back next month. So look for look for our uh, scheduled show and uh this way you can you can make sure you hop in again, get more recipe ideas and um, and then hear Courtney sing. We'll we'll do a little duet for for you guys. How how do you think about that, Courtney? <laughs> I think that sounds fantastic. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Healthy Lifestyle. I'm Lorianne and my heart is always lifted by sharing this time with you. I want to thank again Courtney Boom Boom Crockett, the traveling cocktailian for being on today and just giving us something fun to play with and uh, something good to do when uh, we have some time on our hands. And uh, as always, I say we are here to serve one another. So take a moment, step out of your day and do a little something for someone else. Please stay healthy and safe and practice social distancing. That's how we show love to one another by doing that. Thank you again for joining us on Healthy Lifestyle. I'm Lorianne Castia. Until next time, play a higher role, serve a higher purpose, show up for you and show up big. expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.